The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to another episode of The Crowncast. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce my regular co-host, Ewan. It's Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Hello. I wanted to see how many times in a row consecutively I could say Ewan and people not think that it sounded funny. And I'm not going to lie, I might have missed my mark just a little bit. Do you think that was one too many? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult name to say in certain sentences um, <laughs> because of that reason. Um, but yeah. Do you have like uh, a, a proper good tongue twister with Ewan? Oh, yeah, I'm sure we could come up with some. Um, if, if you want to kind of um, give Charlotte F- FC fans something to do other than think or watch about uh, <laughs> the team, then, yeah, we can come up with some good ones. But um, if they it's, don't want to hear about the team, I suppose they're uh, they're in the wrong place right now, aren't they? <laughs> no, it's totally fine. It's a Wednesday edition. We're supposed to be talking about Charlotte FC versus NYCFC. Nobody wants to do that, so... Let's make up interesting uh, tongue twisters about your name, Ewan. Or even better, better. Uh, I think you're going to have to forgive me here. You live in Harrogate? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Spot on. Spot ah, on. Ah, I nailed it. Um, so, like, what's the weather like in Harrogate? Uh, well, it's summer, so it's still light outside. Um, it's actually pretty good weather at the moment for uh, for, uh, for England. Um, and I'm going to the cricket on Saturday, so we need this good weather to hold up because it might be a bit 50-50 for that. So hopefully that'll bring me more joy than football is at the moment. <laughs> but if it rains, it won't. <laughs> you know what? Even if it rains, because it's raining in my soul right now. Uh, no, we are. I mean, as much as we joke that we are going to talk the football today, we are going to talk NYCFC. And, uh, you know, I-, I won't lie to you. I got up just before we started this podcast. We always do this thing where we hop on and we vaguely talk to each other and make sure that any like super hot takes we've got, we dial back a little bit. You know, the ones that are like 12, we dial back to nine and a half. Uh, but then we separate for a minute and I went and I made myself a coffee and I was so close. You and I was so close thinking about this match to making myself a whiskey. Like it was, it was <laughs> right there on the edge of what I could do, but I didn't. And I think I need to be proud of myself. Uh, oh yeah. Bottle was staring you too. down. <laughs> It, it was. It absolutely was. Uh, to you at home, I hope you're enjoying whatever your drink of choice is. Uh, uh, let's move on. I think that normally we have a fair bit of time where we digest a game and we get to rewatch it a couple times. And I understand that if I tried to rewatch this game more than once, I would start crying. So what I've done is I have rewatched it. I've looked at highlights. I've got some some statsy stuff, and I'm going to ignore all of that because we are going to talk about the lineup. When the lineup came out, everybody everywhere was going, what on earth just happened? And I'm going to read this out to you because I still don't believe what I'm seeing. It is Christian Kalina in goal. I think that's fair. Uh, it is Bill Tuiloma at right back, Guzman Carujo and Derek Jones as a central defensive pairing, Nathan Byrne at left back, Ashley Westwood, Harrison Offal, and Carol Schwederski in the midfield with Kamal Yuzhiak, Enzo Capetti, and Mackenzie Gaines. Now, just super briefly, I'm going to list the general expectations of those players and where we would generally expect them to play. Uh, Bill Tuiloma is a center back playing at right back. Guzman Carujo is a central defender playing as a central defender. Derek Jones is a central defensive midfielder playing as a central defender. Nathan Byrne is a right back playing as a left back playing as effectively a central defender in this particular version of the game. Ashley Westwood is an attacking central midfielder who played most of the game as a defensive central midfielder. Harrison Offal is a left back who played the entire game that he was in as a central defensive midfielder. Carol Schwaderski is a striker who played the entire game as an attacking or an actual center midfielder. Kamal Yushviak did actually play on the wing. We expect Kamal Yushviak to play. Enzo Capetti did play in his striker role. And Mackenzie Gaines is an attacking right winger playing on the left. Uh, Ewan, 
what did I say? Something like 60% of the people I listed were not only out of position, but wildly out of position. Does that sound <laughs> fair? Yeah, that's that, that's certainly fair to say. And I think there is an emphasis because it's become a talking point about the back four, how much that has changed, that you just go through it. Uh, you go through it there and um, three of the four players in the back four are not playing the conventional position. The one guy who is, is coming back from a long-term injury and Harrison Awful is also in the team, but isn't playing in the back four. So that kind of, that first five or five, first six players that you mentioned, if you want to include the goalkeeper, I feel like that's re- that is really where the chaos is at, in my opinion. So I, I want to do something here and I'm going to be in a time where everyone is very negative. I'm going to be hyper positive just because I want to see what we can get out of being hyper positive. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through this list and you, and I want you to talk with me and decide what the best case scenario was, right? Christian Kalina. We know who Christian Kalina is. Fantastic shot stopper. Great at one-on-ones, handles his area decently terrible at distribution. We know who he is, right? I think if you're in a world-class, or not a world, I think if you're in an MLS winning championship team and he's your goalkeeper, you're probably fine, but you could do better, right? He's, he's, he's good. Oh, Bill yeah. Loma, Guzman Carujo, Derek Jones, and Nathan Byrne. What I see and what happened to an extent was that we wanted to run a narrow back three and we wanted Derek Jones to have the freedom to step up into the middle of the pitch. We did that. None of it worked. All of it was terrible. Uh, I think you and I can get into in a little bit the the narrow back four, back three, and what it's intended to do and what it did. By the way, we're going to let you and talk about what it's intended to do because he actually knows the football. Um, <laughs> then we have Harrison Awful, who I mentioned in the post react. I can actually see putting that piece in the midfield, central defensive midfield, and not giving him the responsibilities to run back. Here's the problem. Once he advances up the pitch, he then still has to run back. Except now he's not running back into the left back spot where he's not critical in buildup. He's running back into the outlet ball for us to get out of the back four. And so he was regularly arriving late to support the buildup play. Not because he's a bad player, because he's not a central midfielder. (laughs) <laughs> and because he's not a young man with 23-year-old legs that can go box to box. And so he was neither fast enough up the field to flow forward and attack, nor was he fast enough back the field to to support us moving forward and breaking through a press. And as a result, we could be effectively pressed off the ball with like one and a half New York men. I, it didn't even take like a four-man press. It was just... We did not have ball players back there. We were so narrow and we had people who were not getting into those open options in the middle of the pitch to, to break us forward. Ashley Westwood, fantastic attacking player. I think he's learning the playing deep, deeper role. And I think he actually had a pretty decent game this time, but a lot of his responsibilities were defensive. He's not a defensive player. He's an offensive player. He's a look forward player. He's going to need time and practice to master a defensive role, and we're going to look bad while he does it. Carol Swiderski was off the entire game, ran his ran his heart out, always does. We'll never de- de- question that man's dedication, but I think he made one successful good pass the whole game, and just about everything else he did did not come off. Our one goal is from him vastly missing a pass into the box, and there's one moment in the game where he's wide open with nothing to run at but the keeper, and he just lets like three defenders get in front of him so he can cut the ball back. I, uh, another guy played out of position, not a great game from him, but at least I understand it. Kamal Yusviak actually looked really good, credit to him. Enzo Capetti, another guy who works his butt off, but kind of just feels like he's at work at this point in time and also walks away with an injury. So quadruple whammy or sequential whammy or hexatripodeca whammy or whatever the heck the thing is. Yeah. And, and Mackenzie Gaines actually looked pretty good. So I can't, I can't really complain about him. Everything I just said there is the best case scenario, right? Everything I just said there is, yes, 
Guzman Carujo manages to hold the line. We do a good job being narrow. Harrison Awful succeeds in the midfield because he doesn't have to make runs. Ashley Westwood develops into this player who can distribute balls from that backside. Carol Swiderski runs the entire attacking midfield because he can. Uh, and Mackenzie Gaines and Kamal Yajwiak murder things on the counter with Capetti holding the ball up. That's best case scenario. Ewan, how much of that happened? Um, well, not a lot. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot generally. This is, um, you know, th those outcomes that you say for these players, they, th those best case scenarios, they didn't exactly manifest um, in this game. Um, and I think one of the issues, one of the things that you get with that, you, you go through that team and you talk about the best case scenario for each player and it's, you know, it's, individually focused to each of those players, the skill sets and what they're able to do in the positions they're playing. Um, so the idea from there becomes, okay, do we have a tactical setup? Do we have a coach who is going to make these players in these roles greater than the sum of their parts? Um, and how do you do that? You do that with, you know, automatisms that we mentioned uh, in last week's podcast. You do that with, uh, with good coaching in transition. You do this with good out of possession ideas um, that, you know, will create high turnovers and, and as a result mean that you get good chances from that. Um, and that doesn't, that didn't happen either. Like that, and, and not only did that not happen in this game, that's just not something that happens generally um, with this team. So you combine those two things and it becomes very difficult. And I think the important thing to do with when you mention how strange this lineup is, is to, is to look at the bench and see, okay, well, how... You know how how conventional could it have possibly been with other players in the team? And and Bronico was on the bench in this game, didn't come on, but he's someone who can make a lot of lineups make sense because he can play multiple roles uh, to different abilities. But we've seen him play multiple roles. Um, the Derek Jones thing you kind of put aside because that's its own tactic. The idea that we have a back four out of possession, and then he comes into midfield when we're in possession. Um, so so we'll leave that aside. But other than that. Uh, Vargas and Marincorn in this game, they're two conventional wingers. We played with two conventional wingers. Jan Soboszynski comes on. Um, he's a centre-back. We just brought up the centre-back thing. And Scott Arfield comes on and makes his debut, but he's only just come over. So that's kind of natural that he will come off the bench in this game. The main one that I have a problem with is, and I, I think you'll probably agree with this, is the Jalen Lindsay situation. I just don't really get why he's not a starter in this team. Um, especially when we're playing this kind of system with those tucked in fullbacks when you need a fullback who can cover quite a lot of space. And on top of that, the fact that the in-possession ideas at early build-up aren't a major emphasis from that position, which is maybe somewhere you could say he's a little uh, less talented than other guys. Um, yeah. So I, I, I have a quick question for you. And that is one, have you seen online the the like badge people have been sharing around that <laughs> yeah. play Jalen Lindsay in every game? Yeah. I don't I don't know that I'm fully on that, but I'm I'm getting to be on that. So one of the, the questions I have for you, and I think I'm gonna try and lead this into the back four, back three discussion, is when we have that narrow back three, and I like I said in the post react, I think that uh, NYCFC actually, because the other team gets to do tactics too, came out with a pretty smart plan and they knew the pitch was small. So they were really, really effective at, at switching the play. And normally what happens when you switch the play too slowly is people just shuffle over and nothing really happens. Um, they look really dramatic, but they're often not super effective. In this one, because of the narrowness of the pitch, when they switched the play and we were so narrow, they were already in our box not out on the touchline where we can go tackle them and rough them up and, and feel, you know, make them feel our presence. They're already in the area where we have to tiptoe where we're giving away a penalty. We did not have the speed to shuffle over to counter that. And you know who does have that speed? Jalen Lindsay, like to, to the point you just made. And you know what being super narrow and super tight does? It means that you don't have to cover big spaces and you can rely on the people around you to help make sure that area, the danger area, is covered by players who maybe can't cover bigger spaces. What's Jalen Lindsay's number one complaint? Although he runs really fast, he's not the best defender in the world. Guess what? That changes. He, he, is, he benefits more from a system where he's got Guzman Carujo sitting on his angles. He, he is more dangerous. He's under more threat when he's out by himself. This uh, this felt like it was set up for Jalen. So, you know, 
Ewan, I know you wanted to, to get in here and talk about what a backforce like this is actually supposed to do. So what was this supposed to achieve? Um, the idea behind this, um, this setup with this narrow back four is when the fullback is tucking in, when the ball is on the opposite side, i.e. when the ball's on the right, uh, for the uh, as it well, if you if you're defensive facing, if the ball is on the defense's left, the right back is tucking in, um, or if the ball's on the left of the middle of the field, the idea is is that as a defense, you're trying to force the ball out wide because you're comfortable with the outcome of what that is, i.e., crosses. Because in this instance, if the ball is functioned out wide and the player has a lot of space and they have a lot of space to cross the ball, we are happy with the fact that in the middle we have. Guzman Carujo, Derek Jones, and Bill Tuloma or Nathan Byrne, which when you explain it like that, is kind of sound logic. Like those are big guys. Like, I mean, Guzman Carujo and, and, and Derek Jones, especially, those are big, big people on a football pitch. And you can understand why you would want to play that way to force the ball out wide, force the opposition to cross the ball, remove the space in the middle of the field, because you're happy with dealing with crosses because you have that size. The problem is, is that, and it gets back to the other team gets to do tactics too. With the way their setup was, they had that four with three with a main striker and the two guys playing off. The two guys playing off, whether it was on one side or the other side, would push right up and take the attention of the fullback pulling inside so that that fullback would have to occupy them. And what would happen off the back of that was that the, the wingbacks, who usually for New York City FC, play a little bit further back, their manager, uh, Cushing, was was telling them, get right up in the forward line because you will be free. You'll be a completely spare man. You'll be open for a pass. And there's about six or seven instances in this game where they are free. It happens for the goal, but it happens about 10 minutes earlier as well. I think it might even be five minutes earlier, even less than that. It happens all the time in the first half. And can I, it's just... It, yeah, 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 go ahead. Can I just jump in and say to the listener, Ewan is being polite in saying there are six or seven it might be like six or seven dozen. Continue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they kept happening. I, I, I'm almost just talking about the, the ones which resulted in like good chances. <laughs> it happened like all the time over and over again um, because this is something which has been brought in recently um, and they're struggling to cope with the adjustment that the, the opposition made for it. So we have this plan of how we're going to set up with this narrow back four. The opposition that makes that adjustment saying, okay, well, we'll bring one of our narrow forward guys into that space where they, where the narrow fullback has to occupy them uh, and mark them. And then we'll have our wing back pushed right up and they'll be free, but they won't be free near the halfway line or they won't be free uh, just as we're entering the final third. They'll be free on the edge of the box, basically. And we don't have a counter to that yet because we've only just introduced this. Whether we just ditch this completely because it was so worrying or whether we now introduce that adjustment, whether that be the fullback understanding that they don't tuck in when that player in that position comes up, or whether it is Mackenzie Gaines or Josviak coming back further to cover that guy now as an adjustment, or it will have to be tailored adjustments because not every team plays with wingbacks. But whatever it may be, this is kind of the interesting moment for Latanzio. It's, do I stick with this and make the adjustments? Because you can't continue with this. It just creates too many opportunities. Or are we just going to do away with it completely? Or is it just a tactic that we have for wingbacks, uh, teams that play with wingbacks, and then when we play a team with wingbacks again, we'll have an adjustment for it? Maybe. But hopefully that gets across the idea of what that tactic is supposed to do. And if you're looking for a good example of it working, there's like the 77th, 78th minute around there where it's executed pretty well by uh, Nathan Byrne on his side, ends up going out for a goal kick. So if you're looking for what it should look like, and it doesn't even end up in a cross, it's defended really well. Um, so if you're looking for an example of what it should look like successfully, you have it there, but you have plenty of examples of it uh, working unsuccessfully, not working at all, basically, uh, which so, you, know, you allude to there. So many incidents of it being a threatening uh, opportunity for the opposition. Yeah. And one thing I want to I want to just very quickly touch on is I think a lot of people are going to walk away saying Ashley Westwood didn't have a great game because I think the optics of this game didn't seem great for him. I have quasi-criticized Ashley in the last couple games because he's learning that new position, I actually think he really did well. One of the key components of if you are going to be this narrow and dense is you cannot, cannot, cannot give up that second man run into the box. If that, if that guy is allowed to get out to that wing and cut that ball back into an open player, 
on running into the box, you are dead, dead, dead. Um, it does start happening later in the game that, that that second man run is starting to get found. The reason it was not found earlier is Ashley Westwood and to an extent Guzman Carujo. But I think Ashley deserves credit for the defensive role he put in and the shift he put in, as by the way, does Harrison awful because I think he was tasked with some of this as well. So I wanted to get those guys out there. Now I want to offend Ewan, um, who is one of my dear friends. So uh, this is, uh, you know what? No, that's that's how we show friendship around here. We give each other shit. Um, <laughs> Ewan, Jan Sobosinski comes in, and I made the mistake. A lot of people will know I'm not the biggest Jan fan. I made the mistake of typing in the chat, Jan in, I actually, or I can't believe I'm saying these words, I think that's the right move. And roughly 13 seconds later, he immediately passed the ball to a New York CFs player to give them one of their best chances of the game. And <laughs> my next message in the, pa uh, in the chat was, I am backpedaling. <laughs> I... <laughs> I liked the idea of Jan, and here's why. We were getting pinned. We did not have the ability to move out through the central midfield. We had clearly told Christian Kalina that if he was under pressure, boot it, and he felt like he was always under pressure because he kind of always was. And we didn't have anyone in the back who was capable of playing through the press. It wasn't happening. We could not get it out. Everything was go long and hope we recover the ball. I think Christian Latanzio looked at that and said, we are not press resistant. We're not, we're not making any, any ability to cut through lines. I'm going to go take probably our best sort of progressive center back in the team. And I'm going to take out the guy who was probably planned to come out. I think it's safe to say he was planned to come out uh, in Guzman Carujo. And I'm going to go for it. I think Jan and I think some of the other moves, you know, that were, were set in here were go-for-it moves. I think that Jan was brought in to try and play through the press, and it did not work. Uh, I think that we lost some of our defensive stability with Guzman Carujo out. I think that, you know, obviously when you change, there's always a butterfly effect. What happens up the field also affects the back of the field. So we weren't as effective with Justin Miram in the midfield, so we were losing the ball more and the back was under more pressure. But when he came in, what I saw from Latanzio was a clear, I want this guy to be able to help us move the ball forward. And what ultimately happened was we were not able to move the ball forward any better than we were and we lost defensive stability. Do you want to talk to me about Jan in this one? Because I know that you're going to have seen a little bit more on this player than I did but I thought I saw what I wanted, or I thought I saw what we wanted, and I also thought I saw where it really collapsed. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, with uh, with with Carujo being a planned substitution, it's something that we've kind of gotten used to, that he is going to come out of the game at around 60, 65 minutes. Um, so there's kind of only two options that we really could have gone with there. It's that Sobashinsky comes in for Carujo uh, straight, Centre back for for centre back swap, or Bill Tuoloma comes in centre back, um, and Jalen Lindsay uh, comes on and and goes to right back, um, and there's always the potential that Serbashinsky was chosen to come on just because that means you're only changing one thing, you're going centre back to centre back, mm -hmm. and only one of the four roles is changing. Whereas if Bill Tuoloma comes in to centre back, Lindsay goes out to right back, you're changing two of the four roles, um, so half the back four is changing, and then at that time of the game, uh, maybe that's not ideal. So there's there's, Although, there's plenty. Can I... Sorry, yeah, can yeah, I just throw ahead. this in really quick? Yeah. And that's, we needed to address the width problem anyway. Why not go with Bill Tuiloma, who was basically already playing as a central defender in this system? Why not go the Bill Tuiloma route? And again, I, I think I might have already answered my why. I think he wanted progression. But in hindsight being 2020, now I know I would have just let Bill Tuiloma play where he was already standing and let Jalen go take the width. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's again, it's a hindsight thing, but also that that stuff does make sense. Just you know, it would have made sense at the time. It makes sense now with the explanation. But Sobashinsky is the way we went, and if the idea behind it is like you say, 
we need better progression. Our press resistance needs to be better. We need some retention of the ball. Jan Sobaszynski is our best progressive centre-back, in my opinion. I think he's the best centre-back uh, that we have on the ball, in possession. Um, I don't want us to sell him, but that's for another time. Um, you can't oh, just We're going to talk good... about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> but you can't just put a good progressive uh, passing centre-back into that tactical setup that we had in that second half and think that things will immediately become a lot better. They might become a bit better. You're hoping that they don't get as bad as the giveaway that he had to the opposition for a really good opportunity. That's obviously just awful. Like, I like Jan Sobaszynski. I'm not going to pretend that that was anyone else's fault. That's obviously bad. Um, but the idea of, of, and this goes back to what we were talking about after the game against New York Red Bulls, the idea of having better ball retention in that type of game state, the idea of being better press resistant, the idea of trying to take back control of a game which you feel like you're losing control of because you're being a little bit too defensive. That doesn't happen just by personnel changes. That has to be an overall all-encompassing coaching change of setup and a change of ideas in build-up because that giveaway was from a Charlotte FC situation in build-up that we've seen so many times when we are ahead in games of a centre-back with the ball, not a lot of movement happening elsewhere. Midfield pushed up, ready for uh, ready for the ball to go along and try and get the second ball. Nothing else changed apart from the fact that Sobaszynski was put in there. And if I can say just kind of one thing on this, if he came on and the emphasis was given to him, as you see assistant coaches do with their, you know, they have the sheet of, of, of information that they give to a player, the kind of last things that they talk about before they come on, that 30-second, 45-second pep talk. If that was... You know, we're bringing you on because we want you to be more progressive here. We want to retain the ball better. We want to do this. We want to do that. Ultimately, we want more control. And then he comes on into a team which tactical setup hadn't changed. Like, can you... Do, it shouldn't really be a surprise that he gave away the ball in that situation because he comes on with this idea in his mind that, okay, I need to keep the ball. I need to be smart with it. We want to progress the ball. We don't just want to kick it long. We want to keep it. We want to have, you know, sustained build-up with shorter passes, medium passes, rather than just going long. So he passes the ball in an ill-advised situation. So if that is the instruction he was given when he comes on, it, it can't really be too much of a surprise that he's making ill-advised short passes in an area like that. Uh, so I, I can't say I agree with you with saying that there because that feels like it's on the coaches. Ultimately, it's still the player's decision to make the pass, right? Like the coach can come out and as you're coming onto the field, say, hey, I don't ever want you to. Uh, or maybe maybe the better way to say this is let's say that you're driving a car, right? And your, your parents, when you're driving a car, they tell you, you should never stop on a bridge, right? Or you should never stop on railroad tracks. Let's use railroad tracks. You should never stop on railroad tracks. It's dangerous. You don't know when a train could be coming. If you stop on a railroad track, your car could die unexpectedly, and then you won't be able to get it started. Yes, it's a one in a billion chance, but there's no need to take that risk. Never stop on railroad tracks. The driver then still has to look ahead and if there is a person illegally crossing the street right in front of the railroad tracks has to make the decision whether to hit that person <laughs> or whether to stop on the railroad tracks, right? Like it, a coach's instructions only go so far sooner or later, the player has to have some responsibility. And I am, I, I will admit, and I think we need to move on here because I think we're going to talk about Jan exiting a little later, potentially exiting. But I, I talked once about the fact that, I liked Jan because he played to me like somebody who believed he could and just needed to figure it out. And I'm, I got to admit, I'm falling off the train. I, I feel like he's playing like a player who doesn't have the confidence and is going to figure it out, but a player who is a little bit overconfident and blind and, and is trusting too much in abilities that he doesn't have. And he's starting to run himself into corners. Uh, uh, I'm going to because it would be unfair of me to say that, which is a big statement and not let you respond to you. And so you got a quick, you know, you know, 30 seconds to respond. And we'll talk about, unfortunately, the fact that uh, this was a tough one for fans. Yeah. Um, I suppose if, if you're getting that uh, impression of him uh, from what we've seen this season, um, like I say, I'll take it back to coaching. Do you think he's been empowered as good as as well as possible to play the type of football that suits him, that progressive type of play? Or do you look at 
what other centre-backs have done in that role, what they've been asked to do versus what he is best at. And is he kind of thinking, is this not a great fit for me? I'm not playing, so do they not believe in me? Um, The football that I'm best at is the opposite of what the tactics are. And then it's a little bit sink or swim, I suppose. It's a little bit fight or or flight, um, where it's like, am I just going to completely succumb to this? Or am I going to be a little bit too overconfident in what I'm doing because I believe in myself? That would be the counter. Again, that incident you mentioned, it's obviously a bad mistake and it's obviously on him. Uh, But I'm just trying to, you know, not... not, It can't always come down to one moment. Yeah, I'm kind of defending him, but at the same time, almost bringing in a a big picture aspect of it, which, um, you know, is hopefully it's yeah i think we all have players that we are uh we we want to see the good in and i mean it's absolutely true there's a player in england called emma smith rowe who i want to see the good in no matter what (laughs) happens in you and you will you will be able to attest that uh that's the truth from my side even though while he's quite good 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 player he's not a world beater but i only want to see him as the best in the world so um let's move on to the fact that this was this is probably the biggest fan turning point I think we've seen in Charlotte FC history. Now, again, we're talking about storied months of Charlotte FC history here. We're not talking about decades. We're talking about months. It can be measured in months. Uh, but uh, there was a real reaction to this, and it was the type of reaction that went from, and I tried to not warn people off it. I tried to, to beg people to be angry about this because the fan reaction was not anger it was apathy and there was anger like don't get me wrong there were people who were who were upset there were people who wanted to call latanzio an idiot there are people who wanted to call latanzio much worse than that um there are people who want to call these players idiots and these players slackers and these players much worse than that right and i i don't think it's right to, to go out and slander and hate on any of these guys because they put in a lot of time and work, and they're professionals. They are. Um, and I, I, I have not seen anyone downing tools, including Christian Latanzio, by the way. Um, but I would rather anger than apathy because apathy becomes the beige wall that no one notices. When you walk into a bank, and Charlotte FC is a, and Charlotte is a banking city, when you walk into a bank and you see the marble floors and the beige walls, nothing about it is remarkable. You go in, everyone does their job, they leave, they forgot they ever went to the bank. Right? Most people don't even remember where the bank was after going three times. It is, it's a killer. Apathy towards teams is a killer. And the fan turning was not only one of the most negative I've ever seen, but it also saw a lot of people going, you know what, I just don't care. And that hurts me as a Charlotte FC fan. Uh, Ewan, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, as you mentioned, I live in England and and the fan reaction even kind of made its way to something that I'm aware of, which, you know, shows the extent to which it's, um, to which that frustration, that anger, and that you mentioned, the worst thing that you can get, that apathy has, has built up at this stage. Um, and I think that ultimately what it comes down to is uh, people can accept losses. And even in this case, people can accept disappointing draws, um, even if they do continue to pile up, um, that being draws um, from winning positions. I, I, I just think people overall want something that they can believe in. They want a team with a head coach and with players that play a type of football that is entertaining and that they can see developing in the next year and the next two years into something that can not even just win it, not not win the uh, not win the MLS Cup, but you know, be in contention, go to any team in the league and have a chance because you believe in in what is being put together. Um, and I think that's where the frustration comes from, mainly because I think that we're getting to a stage now where, with Latanzio people just are no longer kind of buying what he's selling, even if they were buying what he was selling so much uh, for the last few months. Um, this is a, this is a team that plays a style, which, you know, I, I don't really find that uh, intriguing or entertaining. The, the, the changes in shape at the back are definitely intriguing and entertaining until you see them on the pitch. 
because you're figuring them out and then you see the shape that they take in the first two minutes and you're like okay that's interesting but then the actual ideas of in possession aren't interesting they're not fun they're not entertaining and the most important thing is that they don't work so yeah. that is where that apathy builds in where it's like okay we kind of understand what this team is they're gonna have all these kind of crazy build-up setups that end up in a just kind of going long up forward um we we have we have a team that has a real hard capped ceiling of about the eight seed and we can't even sustain there for that long when when games get evened out because obviously games in hand happen very often in mls it just feels like people are not only kind of down on this team because it's not very heavily invested in uh, we're bottom 10 in a lot of the investment categories uh, for mls cap um but also the style just isn't that interesting at this point and as a, a person who's interested in tactics that's what I'm interested in. And I think is what other people in are without maybe even knowing it interested in. They want a team that comes onto the pitch and it's like, oh, what, what's happening here? You know, it is, and in a good way as well, because there's a lot of what's happening here in a bad way. But like, oh, we're progressing the ball via this way. This is interesting. Oh, that doesn't look quite like other things I've seen before. Oh, that's exciting where we've got this happening in the final third where this happens and this player goes here. And we don't really get that. So I think that fan apathy, that fan anger just comes from an idea. It comes from a place of, We've had this head coach for over a year now. We're quite familiar with a lot of these players and we don't quite buy that the direction we're on is going to anywhere that's successful. So this might sound a bit reductive, but I'm going to use a couple of teams in the Premier League as sort of surrogates, right? And that is, we want to, we want to enjoy, if we are not going to win the league, we want to enjoy the game. It, it's it's very reductive. If you're not going to win the league, we want to enjoy the game. If you want to play Jose Mourinho, and I hate even saying that man's name, but if you want to play Jose Mourinho, park the bus, and one, win 1-0 one football, you better win your league. Because that that's it. If you choose to play that, hey, we make nothing happen, nothing about what we do is fun, we're not interesting to watch, we sit back, we hope we get one goal poke every now and again, and we never let a goal in football, you better win your league. And if you win your league doing that, good on you. If you win your league playing that that type of, of ball, good on you. But you know who's super freaking fun to watch? Brighton. Brighton is super fun to watch. They're dynamic. They're attacking. They've got young, interesting talent that they know they're not going to be able to hold on to. Are you kidding? Brighton sells their three best players every year for absurd amounts of money to the biggest clubs in the world. And they're probably never going to win the Premier League in our lifetimes. I don't know. Maybe they, they do hit a point where they go out and, and they have collected enough talent that they can continue to grow and build up. But Brighton is a team that very regularly sort of hits, punches above their weight, sells their best players on, falls back, finds new interesting players, goes and plays attacking, dynamic, fun-to-watch football, and sometimes they get their butt kicked doing it. And then sometimes they look like a team that's just rampant. And you know what? I'd rather look like Brighton. Because what we're doing right now, it is not going to win the league. So I would rather be a team that looks like we're going to go out and, and try and get better and build players and, and let people have time to figure out their positions instead of changing them every 30 seconds. Give young people a chance instead of letting 36-year-olds run all over the pitch who, while they know what they're doing, you know, aren't going to, to raise the level. I have, uh, I, I think I have gotten on my soapbox and I probably <laughs> need to step down from my soapbox. So uh, really quick, Ewan, and I'm just going to make a note on this because I want to talk about it later. So to the fans, please keep me accountable. If we don't talk about the director of football in the next couple episodes, somebody send me a message. Ewan, send me a message. Somebody send me a message. But one of the reasons I have been behind Latanzio to an extent is I actually think he would make a good director of football. I don't think he's a manager. I think he'd make a good director of football. And I sit there saying that, and we have a director of football. I believe it's Zorin. And maybe my statement is Zorin's actually a good director of football, and I have been attributing what he's doing to Christian Latanzio. Uh, it has seemed to me recently that Latanzio has brought in a bunch of yes-men. He's brought in a bunch of older players 
from cultures that he likes and his objective is not an immediate turnaround of success of the club. It's to build the culture of the club. He wants to me, and this is just opinion based. I don't have anybody on record saying this. He wants to me a bunch of guys who are going to listen to what he says, who are going to do what he says and is going to make the culture of the club in the locker room in the, in the, on the practice pitch on the, the willingness to be flexible into these systems. And then he wants a group of very talented young people who no one can hire building, right? Legacy is the best league two team in the country. Then once that culture is established, he wants those young guys to come into a place that is settled. So they aren't tossed around in the chaos. And I can look at that and I can objectively say from a sporting director, from a director of football perspective, that's brilliant, amazing, well done. You can't win the league in one season. You have to build the culture of the club. Soft factors do matter. Give these young guys a chance to get their feet underneath them. Let them come in. Have these guys who are established that can hold the weight of the pillars up while they, they learn to grow and build that strength and then let them go and run rampant. And then you not then you don't just have a winning club. You have a winning club who, when others come in, feel like they're now swimming in our waters, right? They're a part of our culture. They're a part of our club. But this club is dying. It's on life support. And you can't let the club die to put great culture in. So, uh, again, it's very strong feelings about this. Uh, Ewan, thoughts on sort of how Christian's acted as a director of football or whether that's Zorin and whether or not you think these ideas are even good? Um, I think overall there is a clear idea that due to our spending, due to the cap numbers that you see, the, that's the, kind of the most attributable thing you can kind of see to success, like how much you're putting into it versus what's being put into crown legacy versus the way that we act in the mls super draft with trading up um pretty aggressively in that for most recently you know Hamadi diop and and uh Pajik Ajiman. there is an idea that this is a team that is not built for winning now it's not being spent on to win now but there is something bubbling under the surface while you mentioned that culture is being set at the top um for them to come into and ultimately, that's why I think they stayed with Christian Latanzio as head coach, because I don't know if he's that great of a tactical head coach. In fact, I, I kind of at this stage now with the with the sample size we have, I don't think he's a great tactical head coach. Um, people can disagree with that. That's fine. It's football. It's one of them things. Um, but he has a record of being a great direct player developer. So if this is a team with an emphasis on its youth setup, an emphasis on those younger players coming up and developing, Meanwhile, we have experienced players setting a culture, those Westwoods, Merrams, our field most recently. Then who's the best head coach for that, uh, for, for that emphasized player development of young players? If the idea is that we're going to be really competitive in, in two or three years, then it's probably a guy with a, with a really, really experienced background of being an assistant coach, working directly in player development for big clubs. Now, mm. once he's developed those players and we have a really good team, with really well-developed young players, and maybe we're now in a market where we can get some very good players in their prime. Is he the right guy? Maybe that's when the club decides, okay, you've kind of done what we wanted you to do. We'll give you a chance to prove this. Now we're going to move on. Maybe that's what happens. But, you know, we can't predict the future. I think the main thing that I would say from that is, I think that the idea is that we want to be competitive in a couple of years. We're not spending majorly to do that now. And the reason Christian Latanzio was chosen to be head coach and the potential reason why they stick by him if results continue to not be great is because of that record that he has in his career as a direct player developer. I think that's exactly why they've chosen him to be the head coach of this team. Not for great in-game tactics or anything like that. His record of developing young players that we emphasize investment in. I, I, I want to sit in a room. I mean, I know I say it all the time. I want to sit in a room with Zoran and Latanzio and just, just talk to them in a black box where they know nothing is going to leave for nothing, like not to report on it, just for nothing other than my own desire for knowledge <laughs> because, because it hurts. Um, I have previously said that we are going to try and keep these episodes to 45 minutes. We're already approaching that and we have not even looked ahead at Cincinnati. So to the listeners, to you and to everyone else, you have my apologies on that. I definitely went a little bit 
bit overboard in this episode. I do want to look ahead at Cincinnati. Ewan, why is this team, unfortunately, very good? And how is Charlotte FC going to beat them into the ground? <laughs> well, this isn't the ideal team to play whilst everyone's complaining about us parking the bus. <laughs> that's, yeah. I, think, I think that's worth mentioning. Um, and that's going to be one of the interesting things, whether that fan pressure influences um, the way the team sets up. And especially by the fact that... Um, we're playing this game. I believe it, it, this is at home, isn't it? This is a home game where this will be at the bank. Yes, this will um, be at home. Yeah, hundred. Yeah, all, all good, all good. Yeah, that that'll be interesting because it might be a bit of a restless crowd uh, for this one. We mentioned how the fans have just turned, um, and and guess what's happened? Just as a lot of fans have turned and become quite angry and and you know not happy with the general state um, of the team, the best team in MLS who has, I believe, it's forty four points from twenty games, which is just unbelievably good unbelievably good in a league like MLS um, and, and they're just, yeah, they're, they're hard to fault. They're hard to fault. They're really well set up. Again, this is a team that, that generally plays with that, uh, with that wing back set up. So as far as kind of comparing them, uh, how they'll set up against uh, Charlotte, it goes to what I was saying earlier. We set up in that way that we did against New York City FC, against a team with wing backs. How will it be adjusted in this game? We might be playing a lot deeper from the off because of how much better FC Cincinnati are than than Charlotte just by the league table. And also they're a lot better than New York City FC. Um, but what adjustments will come from uh, from that game against New York City FC? How will we deal with the wing backs? Will they play with those wing backs as high? And will it be a case of, okay, people thought we parked the bus regularly. We're going to play with our wingers playing incredibly defensively. Maybe that influences the personnel change where we bring on, and I mean, to be honest, it maybe influences the personnel change, but right now I think we have our best two defensive guys with the work rate of Mackenzie Gaines and the general defensive ability of, of Kamal Josviak. But maybe those guys play a little bit more, um, you know, just, just 15 yards further back and cover those wing backs if they do play the same way the New York City FC uh, set up with those guys. I think that'll be the interesting thing to see in this. If we completely ditch that tactic of playing that narrow back four, okay, we completely ditch it. We can say that that was a one-time thing and we realized that it wasn't quite working out in the uh, when we looked at it in the film room and we're just, you know, never speak of it again kind of thing. But if we're now Put making it in the, the black hole. Exactly, exactly. But if we're, not, if we're sticking with it against teams who play with wing backs or sticking with it generally, this is the game where we might see the most defensive version of it. And to be honest, maybe that brings about its best result. Who knows? The last time we were this negative, we went and beat Columbus at home 1-0. So maybe we'll get something similar to that. But yeah, it's uh, it's hard to predict. But the main the man is that Cincinnati, obviously the best team in the league as per you know their points total. And they're as good as advertised. So it could be an interesting one on Saturday if we do um, struggle, how the fans react and what happens yeah. from there. Can I, can I just say very rude of Cincinnati to be good on paper and also in real life? Like just <laughs> very, very generally rude of them. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, I think it's one of those that you may very well be looking at another uh, Mackenzie Gaines and Kamal, uh, Kamal Yushviak wing partnership that's the kind of hope is poke a ball out to, well, it's not going to be Capetti. Um, uh, we hope that that's not. Have you seen anything on Capetti? Do you know if it's a? No, oh, I no, haven't seen anything really. No, obviously they, you know, they, they speak about it at the end of the game, but I suppose it's too early for any projection. So that we'll see a personal change there. I, I mentioned a personal change there. Maybe we see Jalen Lindsay come in for that direct right back spot. But yeah, there'll definitely be changes in terms of uh, Capetti to Swinerski. I think, regardless of what is said in a press conference, whether it's however long. It doesn't seem like something that he'll recover from in the matter of a few days, I don't think. Well, it might be one of those where genuinely the only option against the team this good is to poke a ball out long and hope that the speed of Mackenzie Gaines and Kamala Yushviak, who are both incredibly fast, you know, can can flow forward and hit something on the counter. It's not what I love seeing, but who knows? Um, any final uh, thoughts on Cincinnati? Um, I mean, yeah, they're, 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 I mean, they're, they're just a really good team. I'm, I'm very fascinated by them. I love the head coach, uh, Pat Noonan. He's, you know, a, a really interesting guy, a really interesting head coach. I, 
they're a team that you can you can either say a little bit about them or you can kind of go on and on and on and on about them because they are that good and they are that interesting. And I, I, I love them last season as well, the way they set up. And it's not a surprise that this is this has really worked out for them uh, at this stage of, of their journey with Pat Noonan as head coach. So, yeah, um, I'll, 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 I'll stop there because um, you won't be able to shut me up if we carry on going, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to really quickly uh, let you know, just make a note that it does look like exits are on the cards for both Jan Sobosinski and uh, Nuno Santos. Nuno, I don't think, has a future at this club. He was going to go sometime. It looks like he's potentially linked with Portugal. I don't think anyone is surprised at any of this. Jan is going to be one that I do think divides uh, the Charlotte FC fans pretty pretty aggressively. You know, I, I think basically what I'm going to do here is uh, you and I'm going to ask you in no more than one sentence. Is it time for Jan, Sobiskin, uh, Jan Sobaczynski to find uh, greener pastures? Or do you wish he was staying here? I obviously wish he was staying here, but we don't play a style of football that suits centre-backs like him who want to do what he wants to do. So his contract's running out. He has real value as a player from a completely financial uh, perspective with how much he plays. It would probably be best to sell him but I like him a lot and he would be a centre-back who plays the kind of football that I want to have my team play. So I would keep him. In my, uh, my one sentence on this one is going to be two things can at the same time be true. You can believe that Jan Sobotinsky is a very good player and also that Charlotte FC is not going to be the place where he shines. And I think it's probably time for Jan to move on to greener pastures for his benefit. Um, and on that note, uh, we have... We are going to go ahead and wrap it up. As ever, if you have decided to spend your time with us, we love you. Thank you so much for being with us. If you want to find us on Instagram, you can follow us at the underscore crown underscore cast and on Twitter at the underscore crown cast. As ever, you can find Ewan on Twitter, if you still use Twitter, at stillness underscore speed and myself at that underscore football guy. We're done. We're done, baby. We will talk to you again after we go and take our next three points from Cincinnati. Goodbye. Queen City Podcast Network.com.